All right, good morning. Just doing my ab, not ab, what are these called? Biceps. This is how I work my abs, actually. So glad to see you this morning. Um, you know, the fear was uh, that there would be so many people who are sick that no one would be here this morning. My wife was so sad. Last time that we had an all-church gathering, uh, we had COVID, and this morning she woke up really not feeling well, and uh, so it's such a bummer uh, that she can't be here. So she might be the only one watching online, so uh, good morning, Jess, um, and I hope you're feeling better. Um, so my name is Dwight. I'm one of the pastors of Church 21. I'm so glad we get to do this uh, several times throughout the year. Last time we did this was on a beach and it was warm and we baptized a bunch of people and we're coming back together and here we are, we're baptizing people again. So really exciting because the whole theme of this morning is from death to life. And that's what we're going to look at in Ephesians 2 that Lori read for us. And this is symbolic of that. This is what we're going to look at uh, this morning. So let me pray and then we'll get going. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you that you... Love us and we'll see that. Thank you that you are are for your people. Thank you that you're rescuing people. Thank you that you're bringing the dead to to life and that we get to celebrate that this morning. I thank you for the gathering uh, that's here. And when we think about revival and and many people coming to know you and awakening, uh, these rooms won't be big enough to contain your work. And this is just a little little picture of, of you one day with the throne, with all tongues and tribes and nations and peoples around it. And so, so looking forward to seeing you on that day face to face. But until then, we work out of the power that you have. And I pray for people who, aren't, who are here this morning who don't yet know you, that this morning they would know you. For those of us who are sleepy, not just tired physically, but sleepy spiritually, <clears throat> that you would awaken us to the reality of knowing who we really are and who you are. And for those of us who are really excited that, that you would continue uh, that that not just a a, a human passion, but an energy that comes from you alone. So we love you and we need you to understand this text at all. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, So this is Pastor Appreciation Month, uh, October 30th. I'm so thankful for that. And I just want to uh, appreciate uh, our pastors. Uh, So if you're in the room and you're a pastor, that's when June stood up. Uh, But (laughs) if you're a pastor in the room, uh, please stand up because I just don't want to name you all. Great. So thankful for your ministry. I really, really appreciate you. Um, uh, we can pray after. Sorry, Joel. I just prayed, man. I just prayed. I just, um, okay, sermon time. All right. So it's hard to help people uh, who don't know they have a problem. Have you ever tried that? Tried to help someone that doesn't know they actually have an issue. Uh, if you remember the great film, Finding Nemo, uh, Dory and Marlon swim in to kind of the shark version of AA, right? And, and Marlon says, well, Dory first says, I don't think I've ever eaten a fish. And they're like, yeah, good on you, right? It's my bad accent, okay? But then Marlon, you know, Nemo's dad says, well, I don't have a problem. And they laugh and they say, denial, right? Because sharks have a problem with eating other fish. That's, that's difficult to, to work with people who are in denial, who don't know that they have a problem or who are so blind to it that, that they don't see that they have an issue at all. Maybe you've seen uh, pictures of people's weight from before and after, and it shows the, the contrast, usually from you know, bigger to lighter. Um, but you're showing the change that I started here and I got here because they acknowledged that there was something that they didn't like about that and they wanted to do something about it. Same with addiction, before and after pictures. Well, this text is kind of like a before and after picture. The problem, though, is this text really is impossible. The text we're going to look at is absolutely impossible. It's like you saying, hey, I'm going to go fishing after the church gathering. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Where are you going to go? You're like, my bathtub. I'm like, what are you going to fish for in your bathtub? I'm like, no, 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 tons of fish in there. I'm like, usually people don't stock fish in their bathtub. That's impossible to sustain that as a reality. And so the text we're going to look at today is actually a bit crazy when we think about it from a human perspective. And it's the opposite of religion. So many of us have this idea about God that if we do the right things and don't do the wrong things, then God is going to accept us based on what we have done. And that's just not what this text is going to say at all. This text is going to be God visiting a graveyard. God visits graveyards and does things that we can't 
do. So if you have a Bible, please open it to Ephesians. Ephesians is a book in the New Testament. Bible's broken up into Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament. It's before Jesus came. New Testament is Jesus's life, death, resurrection, and snippets of the first hundred years of Christianity. And so this letter is a letter from the guy named Paul to the letter or to the city, uh, church in the city of Ephesus. I'm too excited. I'm skipping words in my mind. And to the church in, in Ephesus. And he writes this in chapter two verse 1 and you now he's speaking to the church people who are followers of Jesus and you were dead in the trespasses and sins this is the before picture this is the before picture dead dead and you're like yeah but what does it really mean in the Greek dead like dead no life not even a little bit Some of us believe God helps those who help themselves. Dead. You visit a graveyard, dead people aren't trying to help themselves because they're dead. And this is the picture that, that scripture gives to us because what Paul wants for us to understand and the church at Ephesus to understand is we're not bringing much to this game. We're bringing a little stink, a little stench, a little rot, but that's it. Dead. And this death is is a relational and spiritual death with God. And you might be here today and say, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Hear you, religious death, all right. But I feel really alive. I feel really alive. My vocation, my money, my family, they're giving me life. And I would just say that's like you taking DayQuil for cancer. It's not going to cut it. If you take enough NyQuil, you might sleep long enough so you don't feel all the ramifications of the cancer, but it's not going to get rid of it. It's lulling us. All of us are dead. And the thing, when, when we acknowledge this across the board, there, there's no comparison. Sometimes in the church, so annoying, isn't it? We're, we're super judgy of one another and everyone else. This happens. We just acknowledge that. And it's like, oh, well, they struggle with greed. Hmm, I don't struggle with greed. I, I, I tell a white lie once in a while. Dead! You're dead because you're a liar. You're dead because you're greedy. You're, you're dead. All of us are dead. There, there's no uh, hierarchy of sins or trespasses. All of them earned us death. The rebellion that we have in our hearts began with our first parents and has continued on, and it has set us outside of God's presence. We believe that God is holy, and we're not. Without God, we're not holy. And you're like, well, that's not very nice. Why would God set us outside of his presence? And that's kind of like asking, well, that's not very nice. Why did you set your dead relative in the graveyard and not keep them in your living room? Because it stinks. Like there's real rot and that is going to cause horrific things to happen in your house. God removes unholiness from his presence because he's a God not just of love, which we'll see in a minute, but a God of justice. That he said, if you rebel against me, you don't get me. And I'm putting you outside. Dead. Verse 2. Dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Super encouraging that we all get together uh, to hear that we're children of wrath. Isn't that neat? So glad that you're here this morning. Um, but we're dead. And this is the type of death that we're living. Uh, Paul uses the word flesh. And it's not like flesh like your skin, carne, this type of flesh. Flesh is a life apart from God. So you're dead and you're living this relational and spiritual death apart from him. Even if you think that you're living it with him on your terms, you're living it apart from him in the flesh. I don't know if you've ever seen The Walking Dead or not. This is not my, uh, yes, you can watch it or can't watch it. But the reality is The Walking Dead is a zombie show, okay? And literally they're dead and you have to like take an ax. I went ax throwing this past week, which is awesome. Uh, But you have to take an ax and like put it through a zombie's brain, you know, to shut them off. Zombies probably aren't real, okay? You're all right. Um, But Paul is giving this zombie picture that we are like The Walking Dead. 
living a life apart from God. Look who we're following. It says we're following the course of this world. So we're living a life apart from God, following the course of this world, following this path. And this, the word world is cosmos. And it's not like, wow, the universe. Cosmos here is a society organized against God. So we're living a life apart from God and we're, we're coupling with other people to organize a society where we can live lives intentionally against God in the way that he created things. And not only that, but we're following the prince of the power of the air in this world. There's a real enemy at work. There's a real enemy at work and he's at work this morning as well. Let me read to you Ephesians 6 verse 12. It says this, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Sometimes we think that, oh, it's the liberals or the conservatives or the, the whomever that's the problem. And Paul says, no, 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 lift up your eyes. It's bigger than this. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're, we're at war with this enemy who wants to blind us. We're at war with this enemy who Peter, as he writes in the New Testament, says he's like a lion prowling around. How many of you want to go camping in the midst of tall grass where there's big warning signs saying lots of people have been devoured by lions in the past week, camp at your own will? Right? Especially in Canada where you're like going to bear spray it to death, right? And they're just going to be blind as they eat you kind of thing. Right? We don't want to do that. And that's our every day. Dead. Following a life apart from God. Organizing with other people against God. Being wooed by this prince of the power of the air. And he traffics us into death. And then convinces us that life is just found over the next hill. You just need the promotion. You just need the bonus. You just need the spouse. You just need to get rid of the spouse. You just need a better church. You just need a better city. You just need warm weather. And sometimes I believe that lie because cold is coming, right? It's, life is just found over that hill. And this is a cycle that we keep living in. Death, it's a cul-de-sac of death. And Paul says that we're sons and daughters of disobedience. And the root of not obeying is not believing. Dead people can't obey. Dead people can't obey. And it says that we're children of wrath. We're children of wrath. And some of us, when we think of God, we think of wrath. We think of an angry God, a God who treats us like a, a baseball on a tee, just waiting to, to hit us. But God's wrath is different. Listen to what God's wrath is. Controlled relentless, righteous action against all that is unrighteous. God doesn't fly off the handle. God doesn't just come down and start hitting people because we made him upset one day. We looked in Ephesians 1 over the past couple of weeks that God is fully in control, fully informed because he wrote the script. And it says that his, his wrath is controlled, relentless, righteous reaction to all that is unrighteous. C.S. Lewis says this, that there's really two types of people. Um, those who say to God, thy will be done, like your will be done, or those whom God will say to them one day, your will be done. You wanted a life apart from me, you have it. Children of wrath, dead, sons and daughters of disobedience, living life apart from God, organizing against him in society. Now, if you're God, that's a fun game, right? If I were God, here's what I would do. I would scrap all of you. Oh, you're all gonna, all gonna organize against me? Watch this. Watch this. Tsunamis never hit Montreal before? Hold on a second, right? Just gonna wipe you all out. So glad we're not God. Because immediate destruction would come. But we hear all this in the verse three verses. And then we get to verse four. Now listen, all right? Verse one to three was hard. Listen to verse four. But God, you're dead. You're living in a graveyard. But God, you're disobeying against God. But God, you're organizing society against him. But God, you're trying to be God. But God, 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is nuts. This is why we should be a little bit awake in the morning when we start to engage with scripture. Because we encounter things like this. And it's like, oh, what did you read this morning? I don't know, like God went into a graveyard and like woke us up, made us alive or something. I was really blessed. Like, this is crazy. God walks into a graveyard and says, alive, and people obey. This is the true and living God. What type of swagger do you have to have to do that? I've walked in graveyards before. They're very peaceful. And, um, and I've seen like, you know, food offerings, and I've seen, you know, people talking uh, to the tombstone and like all kinds of things happening, but I've never seen anyone like reach out a hand, thankfully, right? Thankfully. Never seen anyone reach out a hand and like pull themselves up like they're climbing El Capitan and like come up out of the grave because it doesn't happen. But with God, it does. And this is the after picture. So before picture, really dead. Well, like how dead? Like really, really dead. Really dead. After picture, alive, but like how alive? Like really, really alive. Opposite of that. This is what God does. And, and if you noted, which you probably didn't, that's okay. I got to study this all week. But in, in verse four to seven, we didn't do anything to cause this change. We didn't contribute anything. We were dead and now we're alive. And so what we're gonna look at very briefly is five things, who God is, what God has done, why he did it, who we are, and what we're to do. And you're like, I know your three-point sermons, Dwight. They're super long, and now you have five. Yes, yes. All right, and I know we have a lot to do today, so I'm getting after it, okay? Let's start with who God is. And in verse four, it says, God, rich in mercy. This isn't a sentimental emotion. Like he looked in the graveyard and he's like, oh, I just feel so bad. I'm gonna, I wish I could do something about it or I will do something about it. This isn't a sentimental emotion, but this is an attitude that leads to an action. This is mercy is God dropping a cord into our misery, dropping a rope into our misery. And it's not that we see that cord being dropped down, that rope being dropped down, and we grab it and we pull ourselves up. That's not it. God drops a rope into our misery and then he climbs down into our misery. He doesn't drop a rope so we hang ourselves either. He drops a rope so that he can enter into our reality that we're going to celebrate in the coming season, Advent, which is where we, we know that God is Emmanuel, God with us. Not God separate from us doing something for us, but God getting his hands dirty, coming to live life in our midst. He's rich in mercy. We need that God, don't we? A God who's rich in mercy. And when you woke up this morning, 5 a.m. or 5.11, because I snoozed it once, right? I get up and I'm like, mercy is waiting for me. Coffee's not made. Uh, dog still has crazy allergies, uh, kids still coughing, but mercy waiting, streams of mercy, fountains of mercy waiting. And that's what you woke up to too. And not only that, not only that, but he loved us because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. He loved you when you had the rot. He loved you when you smelled really bad. Maybe you still smell bad and he still loves you, right? He loved you when you were dead. Some of you think I need to clean myself up to show God that I'm worthy of his love. And he's like, I already knew you when you were dead. I knew you at your worst and I loved you at your worst. His affection is not fickle like ours is. I love you if you can do the right things for me. I love you if you can do something that benefits me. God says, no, I know you're not going to benefit me. But I'm going to love you with this great love anyway. So that's who God is. Rich in mercy. Love. So what did he do? 
Point two, moving quick, I told you. Here's what he did. He made the dead alive. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. There's a story about um, Jesus's friend Lazarus. Do you know the story? Uh, Jesus is told that his friend Lazarus is sick. And, uh, and the text says that Jesus stayed where he was a little bit longer. Doesn't seem like a good friend, does it? You find out your friend is sick, you get on the nearest donkey or camel or whatever, and you like hightail at home. And uh, Jesus stayed where he was. And then Lazarus died. And Jesus goes to the city and they're like, ah, oh, Jesus, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus weeps. He enters into the pain of what's going on. He came down the rope. But then what does he do? Lazarus, come out. And brother Lazarus, with all his, his toilet paper wrappings around him, comes up out of the grave. And if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, at one point you were dead and you have a Lazarus story. At one point you did not want God, but he came after you and he called your name and you came running out of the grave. And even though you might feel cold and distant and hoping the snacks come soon, those snacks, remember Dayquil, they're not good. They're not going to satisfy you. You need him. And for, for those of us, uh, some of you were raised, were born with, with parents who are Christians. They've taught you about Jesus. You grew up. You know, my wife became a Christian at a very young age. Stella, who's not feeling great this morning, so she was on the couch, heard we were doing baptisms. And she said, can I get baptized? And we said, well, no, because you're like coughing everywhere. And, uh, and, she, and then Jess said, well, do you love Jesus? She says, I love Jesus. And she said, do you want to follow Jesus? She's like, I only want to follow Jesus. And I forget the third question she asked. And Jess is like, all right, I guess we're baptizing in January, you know? Stella has a Lazarus story because at one point she was dead and now she's alive. And you're like six years old. If you haven't experienced the deadness of a six-year-old, right? And I don't mean physical deadness. If you haven't experienced all the things that happen with the fallen nature of a six-year-old, man, you need, to, you need to babysit kids more often. They're wonderful, aren't they? They're so innocent. I'm like, yeah, come spend Friday night with us, right? But we all have a story when we were Lazarus and Jesus calls up out of the grave. And so no matter what you feel, if you're a follower of Jesus, regardless of what you feel this morning, you are not dead. God has raised you up with Christ. He made you alive. So are you, are you actually living that life today? Are you living that life today? Maybe today's a day where you have to take your vital signs, really. And there are five things to ask yourself. God is not looking for perfection, by the way. If he was, Jesus wouldn't have been sent because you would have been able to live a life perfect and holy, honoring and without blemish. And you, you, you weren't, you were dead. So Jesus came. But we talk about evidences of grace and that means that we see God at work. Because sometimes we don't feel like we're progressing very much or growing to be more like Jesus. So here's a few vital signs to look at. Do you love Jesus? Do you really love him? Are, are you here this morning to, to not just be a part of this, this gathering, but because you love him and you, you want him? And maybe you don't even want him a lot because lots of other things are vying for your attention. But there's something down in you that's like, but I do want him. You didn't put that want in yourself. Do you love him? Do you love his word? Do you love when he speaks to you? Do you love to hear from him and, and submit? We don't always like to submit, do we? Sometimes we go to the same passages over and over and over because they encourage us, but other passages challenge us. And sometimes we need to spend time in the challenging words as well because that's what's going to change us. Do you love his word? If you love his word, you didn't put that affection in you. He did. Do you love his friends? Do you love his people? Or, or, or do you have an individual relationship with Jesus? Like just you and Jesus and you don't need the church. And I would say if you think you don't need the church, you are one of the most prideful people I've ever met. That you know better than Jesus. 
Because Jesus didn't just die for you. He didn't raise for you. He died for his people, for his people to be together. Do you love his friends? And and I don't mean that you love them like completely like, wow, I wake up thinking about these people because we're really messy, aren't we? This is when you're supposed to say, yes, we are. Yes, we are, Dwight. We are messy. I know I am. And sometimes we're, we're unlovable. And the beauty of the church is that because we're family, we're not looking for a different family, right? Like sometimes I, I barbecue and I, and I burn the barbecue and I'm like, kids, tonight, guess what? We're having burnt barbecue. And they're like, well, I don't want to eat it. I'm like, well, there's no other food. And none of our kids have ever said, well, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go look for another family down the street and uh, they might have better food. We don't do that because we're family. We put up with the burned chicken legs, right? Or the burned zucchini or whatever we're cooking and that night. Do you love his friends? Because if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a friend of Jesus. Do you love his friends? That's a vital sign to show that you're alive. Do you love the world? Do you love those who are enemies of God? Meaning that you were once an enemy of God, you became part of his family, and now this desire is in you for other people to meet him the same way that you did. You didn't put that in you, God put that in you. And do you love his appearing? Are you waiting to see Jesus face to face. I can't wait to see Jesus face to face. That's my obsession. So when, when I'm singing often and my eyes are closed, my arms are up, I'm, I'm picturing that moment where I get to see Jesus face to face. And I long for that. And I want him more than I want anything else. Do you, do you love his appearing? Do you long for him to come back? Or are you saying, would you, would you hold off a little while longer? Because I'd love to... St- I'd love to get a house. I'd love for the interest rates to go down. I'd love to get that vacation. I'd love to get married. I'd love to have some kids. And I'd say, those are all really great things. But they're not better than him coming. Everything's going to pale in comparison to when we see him. Have you grown cold for Jesus? If you take your vital signs today, have you grown cold for him? The good news is he's here. And in a very real way, we're not going to baptize you in warm water or anything, but in a very real way, Jesus can come upon you again and awaken you and take your cold heart and thought. And would you say right now where, where you are quietly, awaken me, Lord. I don't want to be cold. I want you. Awaken me, Lord. Not only has he raised us up with Christ, but he's also seated us in the heavenly places. So this is the paradox, which I talked about a little bit in Ephesians 1. We're here now, right? You can pinch yourself, you're here. Good, all right. I saw that there was some singer that her eye got glued shut um, because of, I don't know how that all works, but apparently things you put on your eyes for eyelashes somehow glues your eye shut. And people watching thought that she was a robot. I think it was Katy Perry. Um, but in her show, and, uh, and they thought it was, a, it was a clone or something, and she's like, nope, still me, still, still human. Hopefully you're a human here with us, okay? But you're here now, and yet what this text is saying is you're also seated with Christ now. So this is kind of like, I, I mean, I don't think this season is going to be great for the Habs. Okay, five and four, whatever. Um, but it would kind of be like handing the, the Canadians the 2030 Stanley Cup. It's like, yeah, but it's only 2022. It's like, yes, I know. Current team while also enjoying winning it in 2030. They might be prophetic, probably not. Okay, but that's the weirdness of it. It's like, we're here right now, but how are we enjoying that? And that's, that's how God views everything. That God is enjoying you right now. That right now you have a place of honor in the heavenly places with Christ while also being right here, right now with the same honor and authority. When Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, then he gives it to his disciples, his people, and he sends us out. You have the stinking, probably not the right word. You have the glorious authority of God on you as a follower of Jesus. Like, that is wild. We're not playing religion in our city. We're not walking around trying to, like, kick people awake with moralism. We have the authority of God moving in us to make disciples of all tribes and tongues and peoples. That I think what we need is, I was away this week. I went to Canmore, 
And when you go to Canmore in Alberta, you never want to come back to Montreal because their mountain is not a mountain. Um, and you're in the Rockies and you're like, this feels fake. But it's like so good and so glorious, it doesn't feel real. And we need a bigger vision of God. We prayed for revival already. And how many of you forgot we already prayed for that? If revival is going to come in our hearts, we need a a bigger vision of him. We need a a fresh experience or revelation. I don't like to use the word revelation all that much because it weirds some people out. But we need to see Jesus afresh. We need to see him anew. Because revival begins with us. So who is God? What did he do? Why? Why did he do it? Listen to verse 7. This is point three. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable. What does immeasurable mean in Greek? Uh, Well, immeasurable. Riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What this text is saying. um, I've heard heard people say, what are we going to do in heaven? Are we just going to sing a bunch of songs? Is that all we're going to do? We're going to sit in like Depends and play harps on a cloud or something? Like what? Is that all there is? Like that doesn't even sound good. Sitting on a cloud, but not the depends or the harp, right? What are we going to do? What Paul tells us is that we are going to have an eternal discovery of more and more and more of the kindness of Jesus toward us. Immeasurable. That for all of eternity, no end, right? It will give you a headache if you think about it long enough. No end, you will be exploring Jesus. Absolutely incredible. We can't exhaust him. We can't exhaust the goodness of who Jesus is. I've seen people do demonstrations to measure the wealth of uh, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, and they do it in grain, like little rice grains, and they show this piece of rice is worth a million dollars. And it's like, that's a lot of million dollars. But at some point, they've measured it all. They're like, that's the end. There's no more. You could gain all the wealth in the world and it would be measurable. There would be no more. But with Christ, it's immeasurable. His love and kindness for us, he's going to keep surprising us. I love going on trips and surprising my kids with things. They always ask, you know, what's in the suitcase for me? Um, But for all of eternity, Jesus is going to keep surprising us with more and more of who he is. And there's this little word in in the Psalms called Selah, and it means pause. And I feel like we need to pause for a second. Because this stuff is so good. And we're moving through it so fast that our heart has has a hard time keeping up. But you, you were once dead. You were made alive because of Christ. And he did that so that he could show you for all of eternity his immeasurable riches of kindness toward you. This is nuts. If, if your heart inside, I know we're like a, an intellectualish people. If your heart isn't at least exploding a little bit, that's a vital sign that something is wrong. Something's wrong. Because this is so good. And he gives us this love so we don't need to be stingy with it. We don't need to be stingy with his love and kindness that he gives to us for others. We should be the most generous people. Generosity is another indicator that God is at work. If you're not generous with what he's given to you, then you need to figure out what's going on with me. Like take the pulse, what's happening? So because of all this, who are we? Who are we? Let's look at verse eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of your works so that no one may boast. And then the first part of verse 10, we are his workmanship. We're his workmanship. This word for workmanship uh, can really mean two things. It's where we get our word for poem, but it's also an artisanal work. It's It's like like a microbrewery or a micro roastery or whatever micro thing you want to put with it. But the idea is that it's not an assembly line, that God is not cranking out widgets. 
You know, widget 41, widget 3 billion and 3. Not that. that. That his people individually are like a poem that he has written. That you're very unique in how he's made you and wired you. But here's the thing. You don't get to boast of your contribution. You don't get to boast in the contribution. Because this text reminds us of what we saw before. That you were dead and you were saved by grace. It was a gift. It was a gift that you were unworthy. And you're like, yeah, 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 but what about this? By grace you have been saved through faith. That faith was mine. I brought my faith. It met the grace of God and bam. You know, like a plug with an outlet. Good to go. No, no, no. Faith. Faith is a gift. Faith is a removing of blinders. And faith in its ultimate sense is falling. (laughs) You're like, yeah, I'm contributing. I fell. It's like, wow, like, good job. Faith is falling into grace. This is why we don't boast. We don't boast on us. We don't boast of the things we've done. We boast about him. And the enemy, that enemy we talked about before, he tempts us to believe that we're saved or not saved because of us. You've you've done enough to finally be accepted or you've done the wrong things and too much of them. So now you're going to be rejected. But the good news is that God has us. He has us in his hand. He's not gonna let us go. Jesus paid it all. You're alive and you're deeply loved by this God. So what do we do? Point five, what do we do? Verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're like, okay, good. I have all that. God did all that so that I could now do good works. That's not what this is saying. It says that we're supposed to walk in his good works prepared for us. This means that God has gone out into the world and blazed trails and paths. And he's calling us to these places to walk on them, not to make our own paths, not to make our own trails. But the call to action is to walk with him. To walk with him in real relationship with him. Sometimes in the church world, we use silly words like catalyzers. Like somehow I'm catalyzing something within the church or ignite or move. Like we actually named our seminary movement seminary. It's like, okay, yeah, I get it. We're not the ones moving. It's God moving. But we don't catalyze. We don't ignite. We don't move. We don't reform. We don't change things. He does. He does. And we walk with him on those paths that he has made. So here's the good news for us this morning. All the pressure that maybe you put on yourself, it's gone. All the pressure is gone. We listen to him as we walk with him and we do as as he wants. But this means everything. And as I was thinking about this this morning and praying about it, it's, I, I really enjoy uh, pictures of, of fathers, sons, or fathers, daughters. Um, and, and it's this picture of God being a dad saying, I have a trail that way, and I, and I want you to come with me on it. It's like, okay, what's going to happen on the trail? It like, doesn't matter. I'm there. Let's go. And that God takes us in, in life on these trails. And then he says, I want, I want for us to jump over that. You're like, oh, that's too big. It's like, well, do you trust me? Do you trust me? You, oh, you want revival in Montreal? We're going to have to jump. It's like, I can't do that. It's like, I didn't ask you to jump. I'm going to jump and I'm going I'm to hold you as we jump. I'm not leaving you. I'm not bailing on you. This is, this is God's work that we get to go with him on. Um, we went hiking this summer and I don't know, it was like an eight kilometer hike, like up and down little, little mountains and rocks and and Stella, you know, was six. And, uh, and there were times where I didn't know if we were actually going to make it out of, that, out of that place. I'm like looking, does my insurance cover helicopter for six-year-olds who can't keep going? Um, but there were a lot of times where I'm just picking her up and it's really warm and hot and sweaty and gross. And Stella and I got to know one another really well, right, throughout that journey. But we finish and Stella says, uh, I, I like that hike, Right? <laughs> And it's like, I'm sure you did. But in her mind, she did that hike. She did that. But that was her dad 
preparing a trail for her. Where I was, if Stella wasn't able to walk, I would carry her. If any of my kids weren't able to walk and I had to keep coming back in for them, I would make sure that they got out. Because it's not on them ultimately, it's on me. And God says, I'm your dad. I prepared these trails for you to walk on. I prepared you for your family. I prepared you for singleness. I prepared you for your job. I prepared you for your neighborhood. I prepared all these things and we're gonna go to work together every single day. And I want for you to keep needing me just as much tomorrow as you did today. I want for you to not think, okay, I've got it, dad. I'm gonna go do it. I want for you to keep holding on to my hand. All authority in heaven and earth is mine. And I want for you to keep being dependent. Do you know what God doesn't need is prayer warriors. We talk about people who pray as warriors, but I would not consider Stella on that. I know I'm throwing Stella under the bus, but like she's six and probably watching some cartoon right now, not me. Um, but I would not consider Stella a prayer warrior. But the whole time we were walking, she was asking me for stuff. Snacks, hold me, pick me up. I don't want to do this anymore. And it sounds a lot like me with God. Those are the prayer warriors that God wants. The ones that just keep asking him all the time. Because he's with us. And he'll give us vision beyond what we think we can do. He's going to give us vision beyond what we think that we can do because he's going to be the one that's, that'll take us there. If you find yourself creating your own trail, don't, don't do that. Come back to him. If you're a follower of him and you're, you're off the beaten path thinking you're some catalyzer pioneer, I'm going to start this whole new thing. Stop. Go back to the trail. Grab dad's hand again and say, okay, I want to do what you want me to do. And if you want to blaze a new trail that way, which I think we need to do, then please make that happen and I will follow you in that. We're not spiritual entrepreneurs. We're followers of the spirit. And wherever the spirit of God goes, we want to go because life is going to bring you there. So we saw the before picture, dead. Here's the after picture. The former dead from all nations worshiping him. Former dead, former zombies brought to life around his throne, worshiping him. That's where he's going. That's his trajectory. And if you're part of his people, that's where he is taking us. You're invited into that. All right, so how do we apply this? The only thing that I can think is that we would ask God to revive our hearts and anoint us with his spirit. Maybe you're like, hey, you did a good job speaking. You did a bad job speaking. I don't care what you think about that, really. It doesn't matter. What I care about is that God takes his stuff and ministers it to our hearts. I'm not interested in what you think about a human's message. I, I'm interested in what the spirit, how he's interpreting that for you. And praying for you coming in this morning is that God would take your heart and revive it and take his oil and anoint you with his spirit for life. To open, to open ways, to open ways for the formerly dead to walk and talk about him in this city. You think about that. What God is not asking you to do is go and like give a PhD dissertation to your neighbor about who God is and why he exists. He's saying, go tell him you were dead and now you're alive. Go tell him that you were once an enemy of God and now you're a friend. Go tell him that you were once a rebel and now you're a son or daughter. That's what he's asking. And you're like, yeah, yeah, but if I go and do that, what's gonna happen? And probably the same question was being asked in the minds of the people who shared the good news of who Jesus is with you. Yeah, but they'll never believe but you did. For some of you, you did and you're here and you're part of the family and you're moving. The same power that awakened you from death to life is at work in you. And God sends out the formerly dead to, to walk and talk in this city telling of who he is. And so we pray. We pray because we know we can't make this happen. We pray for revival. We will in a minute. 
Part of our desire as a church is that we'd like, we have four different congregations, NDG, downtown, South Shore, West Island. We'd like to see about 17 more planted in the next 11, 12, 13 years. This means that we're not looking to grow like one place, a really big church. We want to see people meet Jesus, get baptized, be trained, and then we're going to keep sending out so that there are all these gospel outposts of 50 to 200 people all over and around the island of Montreal. This is where we want to go. And if, if we're going that way, if that's the path and the trail that God has, has opened for us to, to go in, then what it means is we need to get over ourselves and some of our preferences that we have in the church. Because we get stuck in the church, don't we? And we like, we're like, oh, well, I like when we sing three songs first, not two. Like, okay, get over it. We sang two. Yeah, but I like when we uh, have croissants that are whole, not half. Get over it. Doesn't matter. I like it when the lights are purple, not like, I don't care. None of that stuff matters at all. There's a city of dead people that God wants to bring to life. Get over yourself. Get past yourself. You don't exist so that everything is according to perfectly the way you want it. You're part of a family that's messed up, but Jesus is changing us. We're not going to do things perfect. I'm not going to speak the way you want me to speak. You're not going to speak the way I want you to speak. And we're family. We're blood brothers and sisters because of what Jesus did. And we get over it in unity around him because we want to see thousands, dare I say millions of people, meet Jesus. And if he raises dead people, why can't he do that again? Why do we think it's, he can do it like in little numbers? Oh, we can see 10 people. Well, why not 10,000? And I'm not saying just for Church 21. My goodness, if we see revival, we're going to have to have lots of different churches in our city and maybe even ones we disagree with about things. Crazy, isn't it? But that's the kingdom of God. We're about him, not us. And so maybe your chart of what a church needs to look like perfectly has to change. And I'm not saying we throw out scripture. But if we're inviting people who don't yet know Jesus to be with us, because you're here this morning as well. I know there are people here who don't yet know Jesus. And I'm so glad that you're here. And you need to hear the church has to get over ourselves. That we're about Jesus. That we're about him. That there's one person on the throne. There's one senior pastor in our church and it's definitely not me. It's Jesus. And it's hard to get over ourselves, so we pray. And it's messy to have dead people hanging out with us, but that was us. Some of us want to have people like organize their morality in a certain way before they come and hang out with us in the church. And that's like being a hospital and saying, um, as soon as you're healthy, you can come in. Just let us know when you're healthy and we'll bring you in. And in Quebec, it's like, we hope you're healthy so you don't have to come back in, right? Because we don't have room for you anyway. I'm on like a nine-year waiting list for, for some things, I'm pretty sure. But the church is the, should be the safest place for messy people, broken people to come in. Because we have the hope. Not of a good sermon, not of great worship music, not of a great atmosphere, but we have the hope of the one and, and, and living God who brings dead people to life. So how do we respond how do we respond? Well, if you don't know Jesus yet, I want you to meet Jesus today. Jesus went to the cross for you, taking your rebellion onto himself. He died a death that you should die, but he died for you. And he rose three days later so that you would be just like him. That death would not win, but you would be alive. And Jesus offers you today would you take what I've done for you? And would you be part of my family? And would you explore the riches of who I am for all of eternity? Because I want you with me. You can do that today. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me, rescue me, and you'll be made a follower of Jesus. Secondly, um, we give. Uh, we give. Generosity, again, is one of those vital signs of um, am I being generous to God and, and to his people? And so if you're visiting with us, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're not part of Church 21, oh, we do not want your money. Please keep it. This is a family thing. And so uh, one of the ways that we give is, is should be coming up here at church21.ca slash give. Um, some of you have 
been very, very generous. We were way behind in, in our budget and we've almost caught up. Uh, so thank you so much. And we thank God because he's the one at work in you uh, to do that. And we, and here's the reality, Church 21. Um, we're gonna, our budget's just gonna keep growing, growing, growing. Not so that we have nicer stuff and like strobe lights and fog machines or things like that. But because we're gonna have to keep planting more gospel outposts. And that's gonna be expensive. And that's okay. We're, we're gonna be more generous. And so that's exciting. The last way that we're gonna respond um, is, well, two different ways. We're also gonna sing. So I'll invite the music team uh, to come up now as well. Uh, and, and sometimes with singing, we think it's like Christian karaoke or something or like, oh, this is weird. Um, but I would say, like, if you don't believe all of the stuff that we're singing, would you pray and sing anyway and say, would you please make this true of me as, as I'm singing. But we're also going to baptize two people today. And that's really exciting. And so here's what baptism is. It's, it's symbolic. Right? There's nothing magical about this water. I don't think I'll get electrocuted. Ah! No, just joking. Um, there's nothing magical about this. It's clean. That's good. But it's symbolic. And it's showing that, that someone came to Jesus dead and they were put underwater and raised to new life in Christ. And so we baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of Jesus' death and raised to new life in Christ. And it's one of the most powerful things to, to see visually because it represents what's happening spiritually inside of people. And, and Jesus is still rescuing people. So this is so exciting. Let me, let me pray for us and then we'll respond. Jesus, thank you so much that you are alive. Thank you that you're the one that's in charge of everything. Thank you that you are rescuing dead people and bringing them to life. Thank you that uh, death is not the end for us. Thank you that you are so immeasurably rich that we're never gonna fully explore all of who you are in all of eternity. There'll be more things to find out about you forever. And that, that blows my mind away. Would you help our hearts to ignite in worship this morning? Thank you for rescuing two people who are dead and made alive. I pray for people who are here this morning who don't yet know you, that today would be the day, October 29th or third, whatever day it is, that today would be the day of, of, of rescue, that they would see you, Jesus, with new eyes and that the blinders would be taken away and that they would see you as beautiful and want you and that you would enter in and change everything about them. Help us to worship you well. We love you and need you for everything. Amen.